Hey, listen, before we before we go further with this, man, I you we got a professional boxer on the podcast from a, a former champion. Could you please finally tell these people just because you go hit a bag does not mean <laughs> you box. You're not boxing, you're working out. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. I'm gonna tell you this. When I go to a cookout or a picnic or something, somebody, you know, introduce, oh, this is my dude who used to box. And dude say, hey, I used to box too. You know what I say? what you say? I, I say, what you used to box? Oranges in Florida? <laughs> <laughs> Daryl Mercer, man. What's up, man? What's going on? What's going on, Willie? Alex, how y'all feel? Yeah, man, right, I'm man. great. Hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Before we get started, Alex. Let's toast it up. Toast it up. Okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. So listen, we're going to start it off uh, how we do every interview, man. Tell, tell our viewers, man, who is Daryl Mercer? Daryl Mercer. Daryl Mercer today is a born-again Christian. Um, didn't grow up traditional or anything uh, of that nature. Um, you know, ran the streets a little bit. Used to box. Always felt, you know, felt the calling of God, but was still doing my own thing. And then God had to sit me down via penitentiary. And I gave my life to him. And I never look back. I tell people all the time, um, I came home on a Friday. I spent that with family. On a Saturday, my friends threw me a, a picnic at Garfield Park. And on Sunday, I was in the pulpit. I never looked back, bro. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, oh, go ahead, Alex. Go ahead. I was going to say, let's, let's go back. Let's go back to the okay. beginning of Daryl Mercer. You know, um, you said that you used to box, which I have this giant list of accolades here. <laughs> but uh, no, just 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 take us back to the beginning, how, how you grew up, where where you grew okay. up, you know, how how it all started for you. Okay. Um, let me tell you first how I came in the world, okay? And, um, and you guys are first hearing this. I might have told maybe one or two people in my life this. This is it. Mm. But I was born 1970. I'm a 70s baby. And um, my mother was just coming out of a marriage, maybe about two years before. My father was just coming out of marriage like two years before. So they met, you know, they liked each other and everything. And then I'm conceived, right? But my mother and my father, they both didn't want any kids, you know? Mm. So during that time, they could take this, the females can take this liquid concoction mm. and it supposed right. to abort the baby. My mother and one of her good friends was pregnant at the same time, they about a month apart. They both took the concoction and neither one of them aborted. Wow. My mother took it again. Wow. And, and, and I didn't abort. So she so said- So was meant to be it. here. Yeah, she said, forget uh. it. She just got scared. Her friend that only drunk it once, like I said, only drunk it once, she delivered, conceived like a month, like I, I think it was like actually like 21 days before I was born and the baby came out retarded and disabled. Wow. Now my mother, you know, 20, 21 days wow. to conceive, 
you know she going through it. Right. And she told God right then and there, she said, and you got you to understand, she's seen this baby. She's seen it come out, you know, mentally retarded. Um, and, you know, they told him, you know, they told, you know, the mother is going to be mentally retarded, but she's seen how the baby was disfigured. And she told God, she said, if you let my baby come out normal, I'll be the best mother in the world. Mm. And I will teach him or I will make sure that he know about you. Mm, you wow. saying you you know that, that that he's a miracle baby, so here it is. After drinking two concoctions, I come out normal. Wow! Wow! I, I wasn't even supposed to be here. Mm. wasn't even supposed to be here, bro. So God had His hand on me, like Jeremiah when He told Jeremiah, "I knew you before you was born." Yeah, you definitely like wow. That's you man. That's a story right there. What? <laughs> that's a story right there. Man. So. So I take it that you grew up in church? No, absolutely not. Wow, okay. But I can tell you how my mother kept her promise. Okay, go ahead, elaborate. Okay, I'll never forget this. I'm in first grade. My mother lined up my brother, who's five years older than me, my sister, who's three and a half years older than me, and me. I'm in first grade, so my brother in sixth grade, and my sister in fifth grade, because she got skipped. She said, I want y'all to know about God, but... You know, I don't know a lot about the Bible, you know, and I don't go to church that much. And at the time, my mother and her best friend was running a bar on 131st between Harvard and Corlett. It's called the Glendale Inn. They actually owned it. And I'll never forget my mother said, so, you know, I'm running this bar and I really ain't got time to take y'all to church. So I'm going to bring this family in, this husband and wife in to teach y'all about the Bible. Now, I'm not going to make y'all go to church or nothing like that, but I want y'all to. But. You know, if, 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 if you don't, you know, if you say this ain't for you, you don't want to, that's on you. But you can never tell nobody or you can never tell God that I didn't try to teach you about him. So I'll never forget the family came over and, and they was just doing Bible studies. My brother lasted about three Bible studies. My sister lasted about six and they both dropped out. I kept on going. I was hooked the first time to the point that I was going over the family's house. Doing Wait, Bible so how study. old are y'all? When I'm in first grade. You're in first grade, so, so you about seven, eight years old. Hey, listen, man, I'm not gonna six. lie to you. Maybe Bible six. study for a seven, eight year old is like. But I was locked in. Okay, and, yeah. So, and, okay. and it wasn't, and it wasn't a Bible study like, like adult Bible study. It oh, okay. was more of a kid Bible study. They oh, tell okay. me about okay. Adam and Eve, Joseph, Moses. You know what I'm saying? They're not teaching no doctrine. We ain't in First Corinthians or Ephesians. None of that. They teaching me you know, the characters of the Bible, the people of the Bible. So I was, I was locked in for so, so many locked in. And I'll never forget my mother and my father used to wake up Sunday morning and help get me dressed. Remember I'm in the first grade, the rest of my family sleeping, everybody's sleeping. And I remember this is what my father said to me one day. He said, you your own man, ain't you? I said, huh? He said, you your own man. I said, what that mean? He said, you don't know what that mean? I said, no. He said, your brother and your sister stopped going to Bible study. They didn't want to go to church. You kept on going to Bible study and you going to church. You have never done anything that your brother and sister didn't do. Whatever your brother and sister like, you like. Whatever they dislike, you dislike. But this is the first time you ever did something without them. You your own man. Wow. I didn't understand it then, but I will understand it later. And I've always been my own man in Christ. Mm. Man, that's funny. I went to church from first grade all the way to sixth grade, and I was the only one in my house going to church, and I and I was the youngest one. Man, 
Wow. Man, it's, it's funny. When I first started to learn about the Bible, it was it was just like you say, I was learning about the characters of the Bible. Yes, and yes. but my favorite, just because he seemed like he was a superhero, was David. <laughs> you man. know what I mean? He seemed like a superhero. Like, man, this dude fighting lions and bears and going <laughs> to kill giants and all this stuff. Like, Listen, like man, really? <laughs> the funniest thing about David yeah. was I used to be like six in church and I had a cousin named David. So I was still like wow. really starting to get to understand. It. They would talk about David. I was like, man, cousin David, a trip, man. He doing all that. <laughs> this dude ain't no joke, man. <laughs> right. I'm not going to, I am not going to mess with him. So look, tell us from church uh, first off what what area did you grow up in i grew up in warrensville heights and it was the suburbs then it was the straight suburbs i remember we had like about six you know you know white neighbors you know or just on my street alone wow okay and, and let me tell you this the people who was teaching me the bible to take me to church they were white mm. wow. interesting God. Very, very interesting. Yes. Interesting. So you're in Warrensville Heights. Yes. Going to learn about the Bible, six six years old. And then you said, next part of the story, you're talking about you're in the street. So kind of walk us through from that version of Daryl Mercer as this six, seven-year-old kid who's all about God to when you started running around. Well, I get to the sixth grade, and you know, like any teenager, blossom, I start smelling myself. So, okay. So I stopped going to church because, you know, remember, I never had to. I stopped going to church. I got the conviction of God. So you got to think, this is when hip hop is really exploding. Okay. So hip hop exploding, break dancing. You know, it's a lot of things to do. So I'm so, so, so are we in the early 80s now or something like that? Yes, we're in the early 80s now. Okay. In the early 80s now, we tiptoeing through the 80s and rap is just exploding. You know, I was a rapper. I was a DJ. Um, I was 13 years old and I was only one of my friends that had DJ equipment. You know wow. what I'm saying? You have to have DJ equipment. But now- So you was the man. <laughs> I was a rapper, DJ, had a studio in my room. So, but now, you know, now we drinking little 40s now because that's what the rapper's talking about. So we branching mm. out a bit, drinking little 40s. My friends started smoking weed. I experimented with it a little bit, but it wasn't for me because it made me tired and paranoid. So I say- And I hungry can... too. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, man. Tired and par paranoid is right, man. That, that ain't for everybody. I feel yeah. you on that one, man. Yeah. I mean, it used to have me naughty and I'm the type of dude I like to be on my peas. Right. So now, you know, we fighting a little bit. We fight different neighborhoods. I'm right on the border of Cleveland on East 189th. So we fighting them guys over there and everything. So like I say, I'm feeling myself getting a little bit older, doing what the older dudes doing that, you know, that I seen coming through. I still got a conviction of God, but yet I'm still having fun. And basically, Alex, I'm doing me at this point. Mm. Okay. Okay. So from there, you got into boxing or was that later? Well, we get to be a teenager to, to adult. And my first, where my first dream was to be a football player. I was um, all-conference receiver in 1988 out of um, high school. I didn't get not one Division One offer, so I got mad and said I ain't going to college. 
<laughs> I should have jumped on those division twos and threes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you know how you think you're better than what you really are? Right. So now, I still want to be a rapper. I still want to be a DJ. I'm making my cassette tapes, sending them out to the different, um, you know, uh, you know, record labels. And right, right. Remember Michael Bivens had a oh, uh, yeah. record label with Motown? Mm-hmm. He, his secretary actually contacted me and told me that I could come there to audition. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. So we got to stay there for a minute. Hold on. So mm-hmm. what So what happened with that story? Like, explain that to us. Well, what happened was, back in my days, you'll make a demo, cassette tape, you'll put it in an envelope, and you'll just send it to the record label. That's all. You get the address from back of the record label. So most of them thanks, no thanks. I actually get a call from a lady who said she was Michael Bivens' secretary. So she called me like a couple of times and everything. So she said, well, you made this, this group of people is six of y'all that we want y'all to come. And it was, I think his office is in Detroit. We want y'all to come to Detroit and y'all go audition in front of Mike. And from there, he's going to pick who he want. Okay. But they weren't giving us no plane tickets, no nothing like that. So it was right. like, get there yourself. Exactly. So I was basically saying my brother wanted to go. He was like my manager at the time. But I was basically saying, well, can't you just like my music? You got my music. You you you, you got my pictures. Well, no, he want to see you perform. He want to see you perform. And at the last minute, I just didn't go. Mm. But like I said, it wasn't no short shot deal or nothing. It was just come and audition. So is that so, a moment where you looked like now, like, man, did you have a moment where you was like, man, I should have just went? Of course. Later on in life, you say, man, I should have just rolled the dice. What could have happened? They could have told me no. They could have walked me to the door. Mm-hmm. So, so I gotta ask. We were born in '70, so yes, you were kind of like in the beginning of hip hip hop trend trend transition into rap. Who was your favorite rapper, man? LL Cool J. LL. Run DMC. Run DMC. It's crazy. You kind of remind me of LL a little bit now that oh, I think about yeah, it. Yeah, he does. That's crazy, man. <laughs> I wore tangos. I wore tangos and everything. Man, yeah. man, L L was the originator of the freestyle. Of course, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes, so, sir. so, so you know, I, I'm, I, I know you still got those tapes, man. We gonna have to hear something one day. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I got a few. I got a few. <laughs> All right, so you rapping, mm-hmm. you chose not to go to college. When did boxing start for you? Boxing started coming in because I'm in the streets. And like I say, I'm not a thug. I'm not standing on the corner smoking weed, drinking 40s, but I'm going everywhere in the city that's live, that got a dollar night, that got the happening club night, and I don't care where it's at. But you go to certain places, and, 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 and you know how Cleveland is, they so territorial. Very, so very, very. I go to certain places, but I ain't, you know, I ain't barring nobody. So I'm getting in fights a lot. So I'm getting in fights, but I always had a good punch. My mother claimed my punch come from her. My father claimed my punch come from him. (laughs) (laughs) They both had good punches. (laughs) It got to the point, and I'm being serious, y'all. Everybody I'm fighting, I'm putting to sleep. So Mm. my friend's like, man, you got to take this into the ring. Just see what it do. Hey, wait, real quick. Break down your first fight, your first ever fight. Let's hear it, man. Oh, man, I was probably in elementary. <laughs> didn't hit each other a couple man, times. You don't remember your first knockout? That's what I'm saying, your first knockout, man. Oh, my first knock, knock, knockout? Like, like not boxing, listen, just your first listen, knockout. Oh, my first knockout was in 10th grade. <laughs> I fought a guy, he sucker punched me, 
and I still beat him. Mm. Three days later, we were at a party and I was hiding. And as soon as he started dancing, I sucker punched him <laughs> and laid him out. He was sleeping. Hey, fair game, hey. man. He sucker punched me, I sucker punch you back. Yeah. He was asleep. He was snoring. That was my first knockout at a party. Hey, and, I, and, everybody. and I'm guessing at this party they had LLL playing in I, the background while you punched <laughs> Mama said, knock you out. Yeah, no, no. That was not, perfect. Listen, time. rock the bells. I need <laughs> <laughs> we talking oh, about man. 80s, 86. Man. Oh man, it was, it was love. And you know what's crazy? You know what's like, like to me, what I admire about those days was because I hear my uncle talk about it. You could fight and not worried about getting shot up after that. All day. Like, all day. Like, you could literally, like, nowadays, you and today, you knock somebody out of the party, you might as well hope you got a piece on you or something. Cause you, not, yeah, that's Let one thing I something. do respect about y'all era. Y'all actually shoot, y'all shot the fair. Let me tell you something. I, I, I graduated in 1988. In 10th and 11th grade, my crew, my gang, being on the border of Warrensville, I used to take them to parties in Cleveland. And this was the rule. We can go to parties in Cleveland all the way down to Lee Road and all the way over the miles of Lee Road because we could be able to fight our way back. We, wouldn't cross, over, we wouldn't cross over Lee Road, but we'd go to Miles, and Lee Road down Harvard or on the mile side, and you're right. We never had to worry about nobody shooting at us. Yeah, we man. just fought our way back. Man, it's, it's it's funny because nowadays when you when you think about it, like for example, I I like to fight. You know, like I I love not even just going to go knock somebody out, but just the art form of it, right? But it's like nowadays, man, you really can't imagine being in a world where if you put your hands on another man in the street yeah, about that, he, that he probably not gonna pull something out and try to end you it's like man why why can't we just settle this like men you know what i mean man, why can't I we just man my uncle would say if your son got into a fight it was just common to go to that house and say hey Yep, my yep. son and your son got to a fight. They need to fit like gloves. Yeah, yeah like you, gloves man, you go to somebody's house in 2010. Man, hold on. All right, I'm be right back. They're gonna come <laughs> back with something else for you, man. That's true. That is true. So true. so you became a knockout artist essentially. Right. And uh so when did the boxing training start? Listen, let me tell you how I started boxing. I started boxing for a guy named Donald Ray Williams. Okay. He was the leader of the Dynamite Devils, the biggest black street gang ever. Mm. I'm 23 years old, went to a club called Club 91 116, right down the street from Corlett, actually right across from um, um, John, um, John Adams. Make a long story short, I get into it with the bouncer. We go outside, but when we go outside, it's a bunch of his dudes outside and they about to jump me. Mm. Mm. One of my friends, they about to jump me. I know it's about to be over with. Me just being mad, knowing I'm about to get jumped, I'm just about to blurt something out to just make myself feel better before they put the boot to me. And I say, y'all better jump me, because if y'all don't, I can knock all y'all out heads up. Mm. Donald Ray Williams was there. And at the time, I knew his name, but I didn't know how he looked. But they were calling him KO, because that's his nickname, because he was a knockout artist in the street, too. He's about 10 years older than me. He had a boxing gym at the time. So when he heard me say, I can knock all of y'all out heads up, he said, hmm, let me see if this guy can really fight. Because if he can, I'm going to let him box. 
So I see this short cocky guy come through the crowd like, no, y'all ain't about to jump him. He said he can knock all y'all out. Make a long story short, I fought two dudes heads up. One I did knock out, but the other one I dropped. Man. Mm. He didn't let them jump me. I still don't know who he is. He takes a card out of his pocket and say, if it wasn't for me, you probably be in a hospital right now. He said, but mm. I got a boxing gym and I expect to see you there Monday and hand me the card. When you I better show card, up too. When, listen, when I took the card and seen his name, Donald Ray Williams, and he was legendary back then. Man. When I say mm. legendary, legendary. I, he was like Suge Knight of Cleveland. Wow. After, Willie, ask your uncle. Man, about I'm going to ask him out. <laughs> he was the Suge Knight of Cleveland. Man. So when I took the card and seen his name, I said, you Donald Ray Williams? He said, that's right. And I'll see you Monday. And that's mm. what you to the that's something, man. So I want to just divert for a second. So Cleveland had a lot of legendary boxers come out of it. That's true. Um, who who were the main guys then? That were, that came before me? Yeah. Oh, there's a few of them. Um, Sandaline Williams. Okay. Um, it was um, uh, um, some East Cleveland was known to have good boxers. You know what I'm saying? Cheerio, um, Bubby. Uh, we had a heavyweight named Eli. Um, mm. You had the Johnson family. Um, God bless a guy named Daryl Johnson. Um, mm. He actually won a belt at heavyweight, and he was pro when I was amateur. Him and I used to spar. Spar. Mm. A guy named um, James Hurricane Walton. You know, so we had some good, good boxers. You know, come out of Cleveland. Oh, I almost forgot Sugar K. He was a national two-time champion. I actually went to his um his inductee when he got um, inducted to the um, Ohio Boxing Hall of Fame two and a half years ago, he he personally invited me. So yeah, Cleveland had some good, good. Like when we go to national championships and when all the fighters from all around the nation is there at one particular national championship, people know Cleveland fighters, we coming to fight. Okay. Mm. Okay, so uh, let's jump back to your first day in the gym when you walked in with him like, First off, how was your uh, knowing who he is now? Like you said, it's the Suge Knight of Cleveland, man. Like, how was yeah. your, how, was you nervous going in or was you like confident going in? How was your attitude going uh, in? I ain't gonna lie, I was lightweight nervous. You was nervous? Yeah, because he the Suge Knight of Cleveland. And I'm like, man. So my cousins are from King Kennedy and my cousins used to fight him back in the day because like I say, the Dynamite Devils used to fight all the project dudes. That mm. was the big war in the 70s and the 80s. So I called a couple of my cousins who like seven, eight, nine, ten years older than me and told them the story. They said, we're going to come with you to the boxing gym. So when we pull up to the boxing gym, I got a car with my dudes and my cousin got two cars. But the way the boxing gym is set up, it kind of sit back from the road, but it got this big window. And they all in the window saying, who are all these cars pulling up? They didn't know the cars. So when I got out, he seen me and came out. I was like, man, I told my dudes you were coming. Because I guess this dude's bad. Like, he ain't coming. He ain't coming. And then I came, and he's looking at my cousins. Like, he know they face. He's like, who's there? I said, he's my cousin. Then my cousin, Mike, God bless his soul, he died in 2009 from cancer. He like 10 years older than me. He's like, man, this is my little cousin, man. I wanted to make sure he was okay. Like, they said, oh, he going to be okay. He going to be okay. He said, did you tell him about the other night? I ain't let nobody do that. Yeah, he said, oh, he going to be okay. And after that, it was on the pop. I didn't need my cousin no more after that. So you in the gym. With this this Cleveland legend, man, uh, I just want to. I'm curious, man. Break down the first practice, like, because I hear a lot of um, like a lot of stories about high school guys who work out with college guys, or college guys who work out with NFL guys, and they'd be like, "Yo, I thought I worked out until I worked out with like Reggie Bush." Say, I think Reggie Bush said he worked out with Marshawn Lynch. 
And I think mm. he said I, he ended up throwing up. He like thought I worked out until I worked out with Marshawn. So explain that first practice. How was it? I'm going to tell you the first practice. It wasn't so much strenuous mm-hmm. because he had something already on his mind. He had seen me fight. So the boxing gym, his boxing gym was right across the street from the Morris Black Projects. He already had it lined up for me to fight one of their best fighters there. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. One of their best fighters. Now, he was a guy he could fight real good, but he wouldn't be in the gym all the time because he's too busy running the streets. So I guess over the weekend, he said, there's a guy from Warrensville I got that's going to come down to the gym. I want you to spar with him. I want to, you know, I want to see what he got because this guy can hit. And make a long story short, me and this guy sparred three tough rounds. Wow. And I'm talking about tough rounds. This is my first time I've ever sparred. But when we was done, guess what Donald Ray said? He looked at me. He said, Mercer, you want to go one more? I said, yeah. And dude's name was Book. I'll never forget his name. Book, you want to go one more? Book said. He <laughs> <laughs> shook his head. No, no smoke. Like, man, but, guess, but guess what? But guess what? I was like, in my mind, good. Because <laughs> oh, you ain't want to go again. <laughs> no, I really didn't want to, but since he asked me first, I had to say yes. Right, right, right. It's okay. just like, That's I'm not crazy. about to jump out. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so the, you got your first fight coming up. You preparing for that one. Explain, break down your first fight. How'd you do in your first fight, man? Because like you oh. said, he was confident. He already had it set up. So did you disappoint or what happened? Listen, well, my first well, fight. Well, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Be, be, before you go into that, and, I, and I'm, I'm sorry, Willie, but no, you go gotta you you gotta go into the training that happened after that. Oh, after that, okay. Yeah. The training after that, I'm coming to the gym every day. I'm sparring every day. But what I don't know, he got me sparring. He used to have a bar like three years before that got shut down because he had like that that fighting in the bars, like the tough man fighting. He had that, so he got shut down. So that's what made him get a boxing gym. So all these tough guys throughout the city, he got me sparring them. I'm thinking they're boxers, but they just tough guys in the city that he's saying, I got a guy from the suburbs that can beat you. What? Come on. Let's let's put a rack on it. I get in the ring with them. I'm thinking they're, you know, they're they're boxers from a different gym, and we spar. I'm getting out on them, and I didn't understand this later on. Every time. I spar, I get out on a dude, he hand me a couple hundred dollars. Oh, wow. I'm thinking he just giving it to me because I got a son that's only six months. He will always give me a couple hundred dollars and be like, here, man. Because he don't want to bet. Give me some clothes, but guess what? He placed some bets on you. He making money off me. (laughs) Right. Hey, did you ever sit back and think like, man, how much does this dude make off me, man? (laughs) Listen, I'm going to tell you, but this might be later on, he ended up telling me because we was in prison together. Oh man! <laughs> oh, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, we ain't, okay. go, we ain't gonna go down that far yet. That, that's exactly. that's for later on. Okay, yeah. So now let's uh let's get to the first fight. Now, what what explain that? First fight is in Akron. Now you gotta understand, amateur boxers got three divisions: sub novice. That means you fight somebody with zero fights like you, or the four fights. Then you got novice. You fight somebody from three fights to ten fights. I was supposed to fight a guy that was one and two. He's still in the sub-novice category. This is my first fight. That guy didn't show up. They trying to find me a fight. So eventually, I was going to fight another guy that was in novice. He was like maybe four and three. But he ended up taking a fight with somebody else. 
Wait, so, so they're gonna have you fight somebody that already got Yep, I was oh gonna my fight. God. Listen, but you gotta think of the people he had me spar. And and I was just not sparring, you know, good no street dudes. I got to spar golden glove champs and, and, and professional fighters. And dude, you know, they already got six, seven fights under their belts. That's crazy. Okay. It was crazy. But guess what? I ended up fighting a guy that was 12 and six. 12 18 and six. fights in. Jeez. Man. Listen, I'll never forget. And guess what? He from Akron. We in Akron. He from Akron. But I'll never forget what Donald Ray told me. He had so much faith in you. He said, look at it as, as a street fight. Don't care about how much you know, experience he got, take it right to him. Just look at it as a street fight. So I said, okay, you know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. So, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, it really didn't make a difference to me. But I remember the officials huddling because they weren't going to let me fight him at first. Then eventually they said they would let me fight him and everything. And that's when he said, man, just take it to him, take it to him. And honest to God, I stopped this guy in about 35 seconds. Oh. The place went, listen, the place went crazy. Man, for him, that got to be like detrimental to like, because you, you said he 12 and six. Yep. He, and so you know each other's record before you fight. Yep. So he yeah, probably thinking absolutely. like, oh, I got this rookie over here. I'm about to, I, exactly. He probably thought he was about to get you in 35 seconds. Exactly. Oh, my God. And I, I got him in 35 ooh. seconds. So, so. Cause this is, I always like think it's fascinating to get into a mind of like a boxer or a football player. Cause I hear them always say it's a switch. Gotta flip the switch. So what's the mind like when you preparing for that fight? Like what's, what's your mindset? Like when you walk into the ring, do you got butterflies? Is you I was literally about to ask that. Like, yeah, like what's your <laughs> mindset when you like, cause I'm me, I'm not a fighter. I, so me, I'm sitting there like, all right, listen, how can I not get hit? That'd be my mindset. <laughs> how can I end this without me getting hit? So Man, take us inside the mind of a, of a boxer. I'm going to just be serious. For me, I've I just been fighting my whole life. Mm -hmm. You feel me? I've been fighting. The butterfly game's been over. Like I said, my cousin's from King Kennedy. And I remember going down there in the summer and the weekends, and I'll be fighting on Project Dudes. They want to fight all day long. I'm from Warrensville. We fight one time. We hit each other a few times. Then we back playing. Man, they want to fight before free lunch, after free lunch. You know what I'm saying? And Did y'all slap box back then? Did y'all slap that, box? It, huh? Did y'all slap box? Yeah, I we did all that. Okay. But, you know, the project dudes, you know, they was rugged. I remember fighting this boy. Man, we fought about three times the whole weekend. And they knocked on the door again. And I remember my aunt coming to you be like, you better go out there and whoop him this time good. They better not knock on my door no more. And I remember... <laughs> I remember like, wait, like being in tears. I'm like in second, third grade, like I'm tired of fighting. And they were like, well, go out there and whoop him then. Go out there and whoop him. So I just learned that at an early age. If you want it over with and no more drama, man, put your guy out. And I went out there with tears and snot in my eyes and fought <laughs> that dude like my life was on the line. And I being good enough till they didn't knock on the door no more. So that was my mindset going into the ring. Okay. You gotta just beat this dude. Man, you know what? It's something because I remember hearing Mike Tyson say that, like the way he got into boxing was dudes was picking on him. Yeah. yeah. And then he didn't want to fight, but he mm -hmm. and he ended up fighting him because he had to, right. and he beat him. Exactly. And then that's kind of what set everything off. But you just said something. You said you was in second and third grade fighting. So you, you let's let's go back to when you first started getting into the Bible. You were about six, seven years old. Right. You in second or third grade, you ain't nothing but eight or nine years old. So right. 
right after that. So I'm guessing you read that story of David and was like, <laughs> I can do that too. <laughs> and so you went out and started fighting. No, no, hey, where's my Goliath at? <laughs> right. The only thing difference with that is being in second, third grade, I'm in the Bible. And, and that's coming in handy when I'm in the suburbs. But on the weekends and in the summers, when I go down to King Kenny and the projects with my cousins, them dudes don't care nothing about the Bible. No, not at all. So that's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. Man. So listen, man, because you got some out of this, because I want to jump ahead to like his uh his later years now, like not like in the middle to where he started like really getting into fighting though but but i don't want to go there unless you you got something else well well i just want to know after that first fight right so you you've had that first fight. i'm sure you felt like you was on top of the world after that like i just beat a dude who 12 and eight, six. 12 and eight, six. Man. eight eight 18 fights in the first round first of all you know what i mean so i just want to know how did things tra- transpire from there because oh, I'm sure I'm sure he, he wanted to book fights immediately after that. Oh, absolutely. And I was, you know, and I just got to fighting. And what happened was, you know, I'm knocking everybody out. So I entered the U.S. Amateur Championship. You know, your two main championships in amateur boxing is U.S. Amateur Championship and Golden Gloves. I enter the U.S. Amateur <laughs> Championship with only four fights. Wow. And the champion is about to get a buy. When I was fighting, there was no such thing as a buy. But he was so feared, didn't nobody want to fight him. My trainer said, we'll fight him. Mm. So first thing they said, well, you can't, he ain't got five fights. He at least need five fights to enter the tournament. Another trainer came, his name was um, Henry Russell, God bless his soul, and he ended up dying in a construction accident. He said, I'll let him fight one of my fighters so he can have the five fights. He took me to the side and said, I'm going to let my guy fight you, but Mercer, don't knock him out. Really? Yep, I promise you. Before God, he said, don't knock him out, but I'm going to let you fight him so you can have the five fights. Me and this guy fight. I did knock him out. I beat him, and I fought for the championship the next day against a defending champion, and I beat him. That's the only time in Ohio. When I came back from prison, one of the um, he's like a, he's like a chairman of Ohio Boxing. And when he seen me at a fight, he said, Mercer, how long you been home? I said, I just been home for a few months. He said, we were just talking about you about six months ago to me. And I said, what's that? He said, you got a record in Ohio that'll never be broken. I said, what's that? He said, you won a championship with five fights and you beat the defending champion. Because wow. you got to understand, with five fights, I'm still technically called what they call a novice because I got less than 10 fights. The average Golden Glove wow. fighter don't even enter a tournament like that until he got at least 25 fights. Wow. Man. That's crazy. That's crazy. So you was a born fighter. <laughs> you yeah. were born to knock people out. Hey, hey, what, what, what dude say, said, man, this dude was born to end lives. <laughs> man, so this is what I want to know, man. Why you fighting, winning these titles? How is it back at the hood? Like back at home? Oh, like, like, like know. I know you the man. Like You a legend now. Man, you, you talking about a hood legend? What? Listen, I was a lightweight legend. Man. Before I started boxing. Because <laughs> he was already knocking people exactly. out. Exactly. 
But now, now I'm in a newspaper. Man, how was it after the 35 second fight? That's what I want to know. Cause I know that got around real quick, man. <laughs> 12 and six and you get KO'd on, on 35 seconds? I had it on VCR tape. Oh man. I had all the fights on VCR tape. So all, I gotta see these. Man, what? The friends who don't come are sending on the VCR. The VCR is being passed around like a hot mixtape. <laughs> right, right, right. And you know what? That, that's what I was going to ask. Who all of your boys and your family came to that first fight? Oh, that first fight, I had at least about 12. Oh, was mom and pop there? In Akron. No, mom and pops won at the first one. Okay. Not at so, so, so how was it though when you told Pops about your first knockout? Oh, he was proud. And then I put in the VCR tape and showed him. He said, Woo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, man. Uh we got so I got some stuff here, man. Okay. That I wanna uh that I wanna uh I wanna share. Hold on, give me a, Alex, keep talking to him. I'm gonna set it up though, real quick. Okay, all right. So you you setting these records. So let's let's go back, right? Because we 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 touched on it before. When okay. you fought when you fought that first fight, I'm not not the first fight. When you was sparring with these dudes, your boy was making money off of you. So did he end up becoming your promoter, or was he just your trainer? No, he was just really to be truthful. My, to be truthful, my trainer and promoter. Okay. And what was it looking like for you on the on the pay side? You fighting all these fights. You got to understand, amateur, you don't get paid. You don't get paid, okay. It's like college basketball, you don't get paid. Got you, got well, you. He was always making money up under the table because he's a street dude. So right. even even after the fights, I wasn't getting paid by the officials, but he was always sliding me two, three hundred dollars. Got because you. Because here I am with two fights and I'm fighting somebody with 30 fights. Mm. So people would jump on that. Right, of course, of course. Now, what were you doing professionally at that time? Because two, two, three hundred bucks a, a pop, you in your mid twenties ish, kind of. Yeah. That's not paying all the bills. So, what, what, what were you doing? I should say, because I know you were taking boxing. That was like your goal to become a, a professional boxer. So, what in fact were you doing on the side? Right, right about mid twenties, I was a manager at a BP Mini Mart out in Solon and Sime Center. Aurora and Sime Center. Yep. Interesting. And then from there, about 27, I worked out at Verizon Wireless. Actually, they were called AirTouch Cellular first. I, was I, I, I remember them. Yep, and then they merged and made Verizon Wireless, and I worked out in the office on Rockside and Independence. So I always had a good job, too. Okay, okay. And then when did you actually turn professional? I turned professional 1999, but I still worked mm. because me working, you know, I had a good job. I actually was a retail account rep. I went to the Best Buys, the Staples, the Office Max, and I trained their employees on how to um, sell our products. So really, I only worked like three days a week. You know, three days a week, I go to three different stores, bring product in, you know, because, you know, back then and, you know, back in the days, showing a person how to work a phone and a pager took a couple hours. Yeah. So I would show them how to do it and then they'll sell it to their customers. Mm. Got you, got you. So you working, you boxing, are you still running the streets? Yep. <laughs> all right, man, you gotta, yeah, man, you gotta fill us in. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still yeah, going definitely. to all the parties. I'm, you know, I'm put it this way. Before I went to prison, 
I've only had three girlfriends. When I say three girlfriends, that's commitment-wise. Other than that, I just had a whole bunch of friends. And mm-hmm. I wasn't even one of the ones to try to lie to you and say, I want a commitment. I want you to be my girlfriend. It's just, let's just be friends with benefits. Yeah, yeah. We just kicking it. We having fun. That's you it. know what I mean? <laughs> All right. I think I think Willie got, got something. All right, yeah. So, so I got some pictures that uh that you sent over, man. And I want you to just break it down for us. All right. So you let me okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's what's the that one right there. I, that is public hall. When I used to fight the championships, it was at public hall. And that was the oh, last wow. year it was at public hall, 1998. Man. And I won the heavyweight title. And, and I was the type of dude that when we came into like public hall adventures like this, before we fought, everybody stayed in a locker room. I mm. would be out mingling with the with the crowd. So so you so you just had confidence you have swag huh you know it's hard not to have swag when you just been knocking people out since kindergarten though like (laughs) you can say that but my thing was they be in the back in the locker room cooped up with their walkmans on laying down like they nervous i'll be like i don't want to be cooped up so i'll be out in the crowd you know you know autographing little programs talking to people and everything and and that's what translated when i became professional you know, like you look in the crowd, you see a lot of white people. When I became a professional, a lot of them came out to see me fight because I was so personal and so friendly. Okay, and that's something. That's something you don't really get that from from guys now. Mm-hmm. What about this one? What's that one right there? That's um, I want to say that might be the same night as that one, 1998. My friend Kevin Air and Jamal. Jamal is a um is a police officer now. The one that's all the way one that one that's in the blue, and they came out. They all from the hood. And I was 98, and I won the um, heavyweight um, championship. Man, okay, I got one more. Because I want you to explain these medals and these trophies right here, man. And that, no, no, and that no, fro, first, man. First, first you got to explain fro. that hair. That's what you got to explain. <laughs> Alex, that's the young dude that boxed with Donald Ray Williams. Ah, uh, okay. okay. That's the young dude, and that's after I won my first championship. So... Mm. The, the four trophies is the four fights that I had before. Remember, I said I had four fights before wow. I went in the tournament. And the two and the two uh, ribbons is one, I won the championship. And because I was a new boxer, they didn't think I was going to win. I beat the defending champion. The other ribbon is outstanding boxer of the tournament. Wow. 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 So and listen, only because I got one more and it looked like you bought the, and this picture you sent me, it looked like you just knocked somebody out because it looked like they handed you a trophy, I think. So right there, man. What, what, you, was it a knockout? Was it an end? What, what happened? Listen, it was a knockout. It was a knockout. Listen, the year before, they cheated me because my trainer went to prison and I didn't box for a whole year. So I entered the Golden Gloves without boxing for a whole year, made it to the finals, and they took that championship away from me. Even the guy in the ring told me after we fought, man, you beat me, man. Mm. They announced him, they announced him as the wow. winner. People later on told me, because you didn't box for a year, imagine, you know, Duke, the mm-hmm. college basketball team, winning it in a you know NCAA championship. They don't have preseason, they don't have regular season. They let the tournament go through, and whoever at the end of the tournament win, they play them and win. 
So they didn't want me to win because I hadn't boxed for a year. So what I did was take another year off and say, this time they won't cheat me because I'm going to knock everybody out. Man. I ended the tournament, knocked everybody out, and I was handing my trophy to the dude. Man. Okay, so obviously now things are things are going up, man. You are you boxing, you feeling good, man. You 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 on top of the world, man. So tell us what 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 happened as your boxing career is like first off, tell us what's going on in your if you if you elaborate as much as you can. What's going on outside the ring? What cuz obviously you going up in the ring. Your name is getting out there. People starting to get to know you. So Tell me what's going on, like outside the ring. Like, how are you, man? Like, what's going on? What's the word? Is it is you know, like you noticing you getting more notoriety? Do you notice people hating on you? Do you notice more, like, like what's going on outside the ring? Don't get me wrong. I got love. Everybody know who, okay. know who I am. Um, my face has been in the paper four times. My name has been in the paper over over thirty times. When I went professional, all my professional um, bouts. The um, clippings, I mean, you know, um, little um, previews of it was on Channel 19 Action News. If y'all remember Ronnie Slam Duncan, that was my boy. He used to always interview me, put my fights on TV. So everybody knew who I was. Get stopped at grocery stores, gas stations. You know, everything was good. But I just don't, I just ain't got time for God. I believe in God, but I ain't got time for God, you know, and I'm doing me. And you couldn't tell me nothing. I'm, I'm going to be heavyweight champion of the world. That's what that's what I wanted to get into, because obviously you we I feel like we say we want to stay humble, but it's kind of hard. You have to be mindful. So are you do you feel yourself getting this arrogant to arrogant spirit to you? Like because you stepping in the ring and everybody that step in front of you, you you taking care of them. So is your mindset is you getting like a little arrogant? Do you feel like you got arrogant a little bit or how is how's your mindset then? Cause I can imagine when you just demolishing your opponent, you gotta get some type of arrogance to you. Cause I mean, I can be honest, I know I would. I, I, I'm not gonna necessarily say it's arrogance because my friends never said that. They said I okay. but I got that confidence. Right. Okay. I mean, it's almost a, a confidence that I got now. I remember having a conversation with God a year ago, and I said, God, I'm almost 50 years old, and I don't think nobody can whoop me. Am I supposed <laughs> to feel that way? And I'm like, don't let me get in trouble out here, God, because of my mentality. Save me from myself, you know what I'm saying? But I wouldn't say arrogance, but it is a confidence, but it's also, I'm forgetting that little boy in the first grade that used to go to church, mm. who was God-fearing, you know? And I ain't got no, when I say no, I, I, I ain't got no type of time for God. We're not kicking it. I'm just asking you for things when I need. I God give me this victory, and once I yep. get it, I'm done with it. Right, right, right. Victory. I was gonna right. ask, was you, was you, did you pray before your fights? Oh yeah, I did that. Yeah, I did that. Alex, you got something I before I switch it? Well, first off, you said something, and I don't think I asked you what weight class were you in because you said you wanted to be heavyweight champion. Is that the class that that you fought in? I started out as light heavyweight, one seventy five. And then I went up to heavyweight. I only weighed 195. And then when I turned professional, I took maybe eight months off, started hitting the weights real, real hard, and gained another 15 pounds and got up to 210. So, Willie, I don't know if you understand how significant that is, but this dude is knocking people out as a heavyweight. <laughs> that is somebody you don't want to mess with, man. Heavyweight. So, I mean, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're familiar with 
Tyson Fury, Wilder, and them dudes are what you call true heavyweights, true. right? Man. True heavyweights. I think Wilder six seven, Fury six nine. There's some them them some some big boy like that's one one hit from them, man. You might not wake up that's if true. you a regular dude. You know that's what I'm saying? True. As that a as a boxer, they they train for that. But I didn't realize that, man. You knocking people out as a heavyweight. Wow, that is insane, man. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you pray and and trust me, I've I've been there where it's like God, I'm only gonna check in with you when I need something. Mm-hmm. When I usually with me, when I wasn't praying, it was in the case of an emergency. Like God, look out for your boy. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. God, well, you want why me? Yeah. Don't do me like this. And then God checked in with me one day. He was like, man, look. He said, yeah, I can do it, but, I mean, you get upset when people ask you for stuff, and they don't call you, but you think it's okay when you call me only when you need something, right? <laughs> so, no, I, I, I feel that. So, you turned professional. How many fights did you have? Only had two before I went to prison. Okay. Now walk us through that. Cause you, I bet, I bet you feeling like life is just about to hand you lemonade before you got lemons. Oh, absolutely. I got a promoter. His name is Tom Baca. He was out of Detroit. He loved me. He said he'd been watching me since he was an amateur. Um, when you first start off as a professional, you only go on four rounds. So you not the main event. But if I would show y'all the posters, I should have sent you a poster, Willie. But if I would show y'all the posters, I'm right in the middle, like I'm the main event. I'm the big draw because okay. everybody come to see me. I'm not the I'm not the headline. I'm not the headline because I'm only going four rounds. The person who's going 10 rounds is the headline, but I'm the name that's drawing everybody in. Mm. And my picture is right. So you the last fight. No, I'm not the last fight. I can't because I'm only four fights. Okay, okay. You know what I'm saying? But listen, I will tell you this. 70% of the people that's there, they there to see Mercer. They there to see you, okay. They there to see Mercer. And that's no that's no doubt. So, and and it was good. It was downtown. It was, uh, it was called the Armory. Um, it fit about like 5,000 people. We, wow. packed, we packed that joker out okay. and everything. And um, it... it it, it was a good time. And like I say, they always um, show my, um, I'll be the only one. They always show my previews uh, on the news. So, so here's a question. So this is what, mid 90-ish, kind of late 90s? 99. 99. Okay. So did you begin to attract the attention of like professional boxers with names or somebody like a Don, Don King or somebody, you know what I mean? Like did, did you ever like come in the vicinity of those guys who had been in the game and because I, I know your name was getting out there so did did you ever start to attract like those guys who could really take you to that that next level even though you only had two professional fights when i was an amateur my father um gave a take to um don king my father was real cool with one of don king's cousins my father lived in Orwell, Ohio, which is on, it was in Ashtabula. And his house was less than a mile away from Don King's boxing camp. Mm-hmm. So he gave the tape to his good friend, that was Don King's cousin. Don King's cousin gave the tape to Don King. A couple of weeks later, one of Don King's people called my father and say, you know, let him have a few fights and all that. When he get around about 10 fights, 
Then y'all come down here and, and, and we'll talk. So with wow. Don King, it was like, get more fights and we'll talk. You know, you're not an Olympian or nothing like that. So, you know, get a few more fights and I'll see. Man, but you know what's so, and, and, and I'm going to say this and then, then I'm going to pass the mic. What's so interesting about this is you in like your late 20s, right? Yes. So most boxers start when they're like 10, yeah. <laughs> 10, 12 years old. Yeah. And then by the time they're like 17, 18, they actually go from amateur to pro. Mm -hmm. That's true. And so by the time they're in their early 20s, they got 10, 10 fights up, up underneath their belt. So by the time they're close to 30, they're, they're known. You, you started later and you was man. slaying. <laughs> that's that's, them that's down. rare, man. Yeah, that's rare. Okay, so you two and oh, you you got you said two and oh with two KOs, right? Okay, so wilder, hey, pretty much, <laughs> man. So it comes a point in your life where your life take a turn, right? Mm -hmm. So explain that to us, like explain that moment to where, because I could just because one thing about AA podcast, we always talk about mental health, definitely with men. Mm -hmm. So explain to us first off, explain to us the moment that boxing was taken away from you because you on the scale you going up so explain to us the moment it got taken away from you like as much as you can well I should have seen it coming because when God is going to you know turn your life upside down that's what it's going to be now I'm about maybe a year year and a half before I go to prison I meet a guy at a um, weightlifting gym and I didn't even know he was a pastor. Somebody else told me. I go to him. I said, you a pastor? He's like, yeah. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, well, you know, I don't want nobody to feel uncomfortable around me. So I said, okay. Me and my workout crew, I said, man, let's go to John's church. It's on 82nd, I mean, 82nd in um, Woodland. So we go to church. And just like my brothers and sisters, everybody drop off one after another. I keep on going to the church. And I remember God telling me in my spirit, I ain't going to church, I ain't reading my Bible, nothing. But I remember God telling my spirit, this is the last person I'm going to send in your life before I turn it upside down. Wow. So I'm going to church, but guess what? But my lifestyle ain't changed. So if people can, you know, they can attest to that. Yeah, yeah, I was going to church, but I'm still doing what I want to do. I'm Okay, God, I'm waking up. I'm going to church two, three times out the month. God, get off my back. That was my attitude. You know uh, what I'm saying? Okay. So I'm thinking me and God okay because at least I'm going to church no less than twice a month. And my famous temper got the best of me one day. Mm. My famous temper got the best of me one day. And um, and like I say, I'll talk to y'all guys privately, you know what I'm saying? Out of respect for certain people. I'm not yeah, okay. going to detail and everything. But, um, you know, my case was silly. It was a fluke. I really shouldn't have went to prison. But I know it was just, I mean, I look back now, it was God really getting my attention. It's I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Did you feel like that was God saying, yeah. Yeah. I need to get your attention? So, so, okay. So let's jump there. Um, you, you, you in prison. How, first off, man, I could never, I like I, the life, like, cause I want you to explain. I really want to ask you this, like the, how is life? Like, how do you adapt to life inside? Like, cause I could just, I couldn't do it. So, like, what was it like? Like, how did you wrap your mind around it? Like, I know people didn't try you because obviously you was already known from the streets. So I can imagine you went in there. You So I think you going to prison is probably different from the average Joe going because yeah. they already know like, yo, this knockout merch. Like, we ain't about to, 
<laughs> Knock out first. I like that. <laughs> we about to mess with him. So explain, like, explain to the viewers, like, prison life. Like, how did you end? And then go into how did you really, like, start building your relationship with God while you were in there? Okay. Mm. Well, going into prison, I got to tell you how I built my relationship with God, too, because it, it all happened at the okay. same time. So, and it gives you my mindset of going in as okay. a street dude, knockout artist in the street in the ring, but also going in with this burden on me of getting close to God. Well, I'm in the county and I only spent a week there because I went to um I went to um I went to trial from the street. So when I got found guilty, that's when they locked me up. So I was only in the county for about a week. Within that week, one of the ministers came and told me I was gonna be a preacher. I'm like, what? They was like, ain't nobody ever told you it was gonna be a preacher? And I was like, no. So mm. I went back to my cell and this is maybe 10 hours later, I'm in a bed about to go to bed. And God played to my remembrance when three different people in my life told me I was going to be a preacher. And you know mm. when people said it, it went in one ear and out the other. Imagine me being in the county in a bed, and I had never, the first time I was 18, the next time I was 21, the next time I was around about 27. I had never thought about this. So when the Bible tells you in the Gospel of John that, that the Holy Spirit would bring back to your remembrance, oh my goodness. So I'm sitting in the bed like, oh, I can't believe this. So this is what I tell God. I said, God, if you let me out, the, you let me get out the cell because we locked in the cell and it's 11 o'clock at night, locked in. You ain't getting out till the morning, Monday morning. But I'm playing with God like, God, if you let me get on the phone and tell my play mother, my biological mother died in 94, but my play mother grew up in church. You feel me? So she like my play mother, but she grew up in church and that's just God, you know, aligning me with good faith-based people. You know what I'm saying? So I said, I got to tell my play mother this. So I said, mm. God, if you let me out, I'll believe it. But I don't think I'm going to get out. And I you just joking, trying to play with him, like you I'm said. I'm playing with him. I knock on the door. Listen, because in a county, anybody tell you, once they close those cells at night, you ain't getting out. I don't care if it's a fire. Make a long story short, the CO let me out. And I get on mm. But this is going to blow your mind. I say, mom. This preacher who I never met came to me early in the day and told me I was going to be a preacher. I said, and then I'm laying in my bed and God brought to my remembrance three my, three times that somebody told me I was going to be a preacher, but I never thought about it. I thought they were just talking crazy. And this is what she said. My nickname is Poonie. She said, Poonie, before you call, 15 minutes before you call, I was talking to your sister, which is her daughter and my play sister, and told her for some reason, I think God is sending Pooney to prison to make him a preacher. Wow. wow. So while I was in my bed and God was bringing us back to my remembrance, at the same time, he was telling my play mother. Wow. So it, I, listen, I dropped the phone when she told me that. Man. So now I'm going in prison saying, I got to be a preacher. I got to be a preacher. So, okay, I got to be a preacher. But I'm also this, this tough dude and I ain't going to take none. But like you said, Willie, I remember saying, God, how I'm going to concentrate on you? And this is my first time being in prison. How I'm going to concentrate on you? And I got to come in prison and let these guys know I'm tough. And I remember God putting in my spirit like, you don't have to do that. I'm going to take care of that. And when I walked in prison, people were like, Mercer? That's Mercer. What are you doing here? You had to beat somebody up. Man, <laughs> you're supposed to be heavyweight champion by now. <clears throat> no wonder I ain't seen you in the paper in the last eight months. Mm. So I had respect that the average, I had put this way, I had respect 
that 90% of people in prison don't have. I didn't have to worry about nobody stealing on me, nobody extorting me, nobody jumping me. In prison, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm just going to tell y'all the truth. In prison, I was a top five dude. There's five, there's about five, 6,000 inmates. I'm top five, respect and fear, top five. Man. I didn't have to worry about nobody <clears throat> swinging on me, nobody extorting me, nobody stealing nothing from me. Mm. So your knockout streak ended is basically what you're telling me. Oh, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you this. Because of who I am, I can't stand loudmouths. I can't stand I can't stand bullies. I can't stand arrogant dudes. Mm-hmm. And I took a look at a few of them. If you ever mm-hmm. run into somebody that was in prison with me, they're going to tell you. I'll say, oh, Mercer took a look at some few dudes. But they'll tell you I always fought tough dudes. Now, mm-hmm. I tell people this. So people say, well, so when God was letting you beat up people in prison, I say, I never say that. I never say God commissioned me to beat up these loud mouths, these extortioners, you know, these bullies in prison. But I would tell you this, I came in prison without a scratch. And, and I left prison without a scratch. <laughs> Talk to him. <laughs> okay. Yeah, man. Look, man, so, so I was telling Willie the other day, and I'm glad you told your backstory about and I didn't know that you started out scrapping in the street. I wanted you to explain the difference between a trained fighter and just a regular street fighter. Because once once you get some training underneath your belt, you can go anywhere. And that dude who's, he, he may be the best street fighter ever, but you match him up against somebody with some training who's perfected his skill. I want you to kind of explain that, you know what I mean? Okay, that's why, you know, I always had that attitude, like, can't nobody beat me. I really think if you lock me in a room with any man, I'm going to beat him. Lock me in a room with him, <laughs> I'm going to be victorious. I actually believe that because, first of all, with a trained fighter and a street fighter, a street fighter only got about 30 seconds worth of win. That's it. A trained fighter, he can fight all day long. So yep. once that street fighter come out and throwing all them heavy shots, that's all he throwing up heavy shots. He ain't trying to set nothing up. Yep. 30, 35 seconds, he gonna need an oxygen mask. Yep. And now you like, oh, I'm about to pick you out. And also when you're a trained fighter, he throwing all them street, you know, punches. You see them coming a mile. It's like they coming at you in slow motion. Man, you you see everything. everything. You you see everything, and then. Also, as a trained fighter, you already know what you're going in there to do. It's it's not I'm going in there hoping something is about to happen. Like it's especially if I'm in the street, because there's no rules in the street. There's no referee to save you. There is no bell. And if I want to, I can end you, and nobody's gonna stop me. But yeah, I I I just I just wanted you to explain that because you know, dudes, they go on the on the inside thinking that they tough, but they come up against a dude that's trained, they get towed up. All, all the time. <laughs> they get towed up. I see, I see it happen all the time. Man, oh man. Hey, listen, I, before we before we go further with this, man, I you we got a professional boxer on the podcast. I want you to to the disclaimer right now, because I be hearing dudes that man, I used to box, I box. Could you please? From a, a former champion, could you please finally tell these people just because you go hit a bag does not mean <laughs> you box? Oh, please 
Merce, could you please clear the air and tell these people just because you're not boxing, you're working out. Please tell them. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. I'm going to tell you this. When I go to a cookout or a picnic or something, somebody, you know, introduce, oh, this is my dude. He used to box. And dude say, hey, I used to box too. You know what I say? What'd you say? I say, say what'd you used to box? Oranges in Florida? <laughs> he'd, be like, he'd, be like, he'd be like, what what you mean? I said, because I'm a three-time Golden Glove champion, three-time U.S. amateur champion, three-time Black Expo, one-time cross interstate champion. That's what type of boxing I did. Now, what type of boxing you do? Oh, oh no, I was just going in the gym, you know, working out. <laughs> so once you run it down, but they're quick to say, because they went in the gym, they might even got in the ring and spar one time. Yeah, I used to box, so I used to box too. But I used to have to tell them what type of box you used to box, because I got championships. And I'm going to tell you all a quick story. It was a dude in prison before I got there had everybody fooled that he was a two-time gold glove champion. Just lying. Just lying. He had two gloves tattooed on his forearm, or like his wrist. Two gloves. So when they told me about it, I go up to him. I said, I just say his first name, Sean. Say, Sean used to box. I'd look at him. I know he never used to box. He's like, yeah, two-time gold glove champion. I said, for real? I said, okay. <laughs> I bring him to my room. I'm only in prison maybe like a week. I bring him to my room, let him look on the wall, see my different articles I hung up. I said, dude. Then I locked my door. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Listen, part my friends, but they used to call that hell in the cell when you lock the door. Because once the door is locked, the only Stop. way listen, the only <laughs> way to get back open is the CO got to come and unlock oh, it. man. So they called that hell in the cell. So when I locked the door on him, I said, where you used to box at? Guess what he said? The same <laughs> gym I used to box at because he stayed across the street from the gym in the Morris Black Projects. So I said, dude, you never boxed. The long story short, I said, you got a week. To take them two tattoos off your wrist. I'm coming to see you. <laughs> yeah. In a week, them tattoos is gone. Oh man, Listen, that I'm boss! Like, I'm like, I'm the only Golden Glove champion in this joint. That's mm. it. Man, <laughs> hey, reality check. Be a good one, Alex. I told you, man. <laughs> reality check. No, man, it's it's something because when I, I first met you. I can tell you as a fighter. Now I've, I've I've trained as a fighter. I didn't train in boxing, but I trained for the past couple years in martial arts. But it's always an aura about somebody you can tell that was a fighter. So when we was at Golden Corral, okay, and he came out and Johnny introduced me to. Him, I was like, oh yeah, dude, a fighter. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but it's funny because like one of my best friends, he had he had just came home from doing like seven eight years when i first because it, it's always a calm and peaceful type of aura fighters have about themselves where it's like you said it's that confidence you know now nowadays we we refer to it as a swag but it's really just this and and the one thing about most fighters that i notice outside of their sport they don't want to have to go around fighting people that's that's not something that they actually want to do for most of them. And especially if you're a professional fighter, you definitely don't want to be in the street fighting because that can mess up your career. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? So it's like after a while, and, and this is why I bring up training. Once you've been trained, your mindset is totally different. You're not out trying to knock everybody out. Only when you get in the ring or if you in MMA, when you get in a cage, other than that, I got a life. 
I got a family. I, I got all these other things that's going on. Like, this is what I do. And if you test me, yeah, I will defend myself, right? But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to go around trying to knock people out. That's that's not what I do. But I I, I notice dudes who, who have that calm, they, you, they usually turn out to be fighters. And if you try them, they'll let you know who they are. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> he got it right. He got it right. Absolutely. Man. All right. So listen, man, let's go to, let's elaborate more on how, like, cause I can, at this point, I'm pretty sure you took on, did you take on like the, the minister role inside? Yes. So explain that, explain that to us, man. Okay. Um, like I say, um, I got prophesized. I was going to be a preacher. Got confirmed. And, um, I, um, did a, um, seminary school, Cordes Finest Seminary School, looking at my little plaque now. And I got my first ordination in September 15, 2003. Okay. A mm. um, little less than a year that I was in prison. So you got your penitentiary preachers. So I started, you know, you know, preaching, you know, witnessing. And because of my boxing background, it, it, it you know, attracted more people than the average penitentiary preacher where to where their ministries was five or six people. Mine's was 30. You know, wow. I had game bangers. You know what I'm saying? I had murderers and everything, but these people that want to get close to God. But I also had guys that, you know, and I ain't saying the same, they used me for protection because it was an unwritten rule in prison. If you was in Mercer's fellowship group, you didn't get extorted, you didn't get bullied, you didn't get raped, and you didn't get stole from. I will protect you. People don't understand a pastor, the Hebrew word for pastor means shepherd. To me, a shepherd's number one job is to protect. Some people say, well, it's to feed the flock and lead the flock. But if you don't protect it, you ain't got no flock to lead or feed. Mm -hmm. So I will protect my brothers, and I took that serious. And sometimes people say, Mercer, he only joined your fellowship group for protection. I said, well, brother, if that's the truth, he's going to have to deal with God. I said, but God doesn't give me a screening process or hook somebody up to a lie detector test and say, are you joining my fellowship because you love God or you just want my protection? You know, right. So, so, so that's what it was with the ministry. Um, you know, we did Bible studies Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, like I say, when people, mothers and fathers, grandmothers died, I was a the person they came to, you know, they wanted me to pray for them and everything. Their girlfriend would leave them or whatever, or and then the things inside the joint, you know, somebody getting extorted or maybe getting bullied, you know, they were running me. And even guys who wasn't in my fellowship were running me. But I felt like I had to do something because it was the calling and the respect that God gave me. The respect that I had in Mansfield Walls. And at this time, we talking about the 2000, Mansfield Walls was pretty much undisputably known as the toughest prison in Ohio. Yo, listen, man, like for the viewers that's watching this, yo, so I used to do prison ministry with Merce. We did a few prison ministries and I think we went to uh we went to the one on 30th and we went to the one Grafton. I think we went to Grafton, right? And Merce would always tell me, wait to go to Mansfield. He he used to joke like you're gonna be all up under me when we go to Mansfield. Watch. He like that's a real prison. So I ain't gonna lie, of course. I'm like, man, whatever, I ain't scared. But Merce, this is the first time I'm telling you. <laughs> Listen, in the back of my head, I was like, Man, do I really want to go to Mansfield with him, man? Like, I know Merce ain't gonna let nothing happen to me, but like, like Mansfield, like, do I really want to go there? So, like, Mansfield, that's like a real prison. But it's it's crazy 
to say that you was meant to be there, but I kind of feel like, cause you said the average preacher would have 13 or whatever, you would have 30. Wow. It's more, I think with you, it was more of relatable. Cause you, cause, cause, cause what I found now, like definitely now these days, it's hard to be up under somebody that really can't relate to you or really don't yep. understand you. Yep. So they probably look at you just like, nah, he just not a preacher. He been in the streets. He come from the area I came from. So he understand me. So it's more of a respect, not just respect that cause a fear respect, but also respect, respect that, yo, this dude, he been there. He don't walk the streets. So I walk. He done lived the life that I live and look ahead of him now. If he can do this, I know I can do this. Absolutely. Man, you know what? It's, it's, it's fun, funny you say that. And we talk about David and you talk about pastor means shepherd because David was a shepherd at first, yes, but yes, David was also a killer <laughs> so god god didn't just call him to lead the people he called him to protect the people yes sir. so you know but most people have never lived that life you know so i i think especially us as americans we look at like we can read the bible but if you've never lived it you gonna have a completely different view it's it's one thing to read david slayed goliath but it's another thing to have been there and saw him chop off this dude's head, you know what I mean? But this dude was threatening an entire country.